Welcome to the Pooch Parenting Podcast, a podcast for parents with dogs. I'm Michelle Stern, a certified professional dog trainer, mom, and former teacher. Living with kids and dogs at the same time can feel like a circus. I know because I lived it too. Join us as we interview a variety of experts and parents to discuss topics that will make parenting with dogs easier, safer, and less chaotic. Also, you can love living with your dog again. I'll always keep it real, which might even mean that you hear the messiness of life in the background on occasion, but at least you know you're not alone. On today's podcast, I interview Matt Beisner. He is the host of the National Geographic Wild Show called Dog Impossible. We had a really great talk about his role as a dad to two little ones and to five formerly aggressive dogs. Today's episode got pretty emotional with lots of laughs and almost a few tears, and there is definitely some barking, so be warned for that. Hope you enjoy. Matt, I finally got you here for our podcast interview. I am so happy that you're here to talk with me today. Yeah, me too. I'm really excited to be here. So Matt Beisner is the host of a show on Nat Geo Wild called Dog Impossible, and he is here to talk to us today from the perspective of a dad who has experience with dogs who have aggressive behavior now or in the past, and he's living together with five formerly aggressive dogs and two little peanuts. And so we're going to talk a little bit about how to navigate those choppy waters and how to help other families make hard decisions and make steps towards improvement so that we can feel confident as a parent and dog owner. But Matt, I would love for you to introduce yourself before we dive in. Oh, thank you. I am. Um, thanks for, again, thank you for having me. It's, it's a delight to be here. And uh, um, I, I can't think of anything more important actually than this particular conversation for me, um, because I, I'm more invested in being a parent and caring for my dogs and being a decent dad and husband than I am anything else. So here I am. Um, Matt Beisner, I'm a certified professional dog trainer with knowledge assessment, uh, which means I know a thing or two about a thing or two. That quest was awful, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was something. I made a I made an emotionally sober decision because I make those nowadays where I was actually studying during filming. Uh, and uh it filmed 14 hour days and I just I, I checked with myself, do I want the test? Do I want the certification? And then I worked backwards. What happens if I don't get it? I'm going to come back to the working backwards because there's a lot of that in the work that I do. Right. where kids are concerned. So I just asked myself, if I didn't have it, how would I feel? I feel disappointed. Okay, so that, that matters to you, Matt. So go ahead and, and study for it. So it was 14-hour days, and I, I committed to studying 30 minutes every night. And if I didn't pass, I wasn't going to pass, but I wasn't going to study for an hour. I wasn't going to study the way that I used to, which is crash and burn. Um, and credit to Brooklyn, my wife, for you know really carrying a, a, a quite a load in that time while we're filming, and I'm trying to study on top of it. So that was a family win for sure. Definitely. Um, I've been working with dogs for, gosh, I guess at this point about 12 years, and almost out of the gate, it's been aggression. And the irony of that is um, that I was afraid of dogs until about 12 years ago. <laughs> So, so if you have a listener that, that is afraid of dogs or that's in a, in, in a home where a family member is afraid of dogs or they have concerns about kids being afraid of dogs, that's something that I can share from that experience too. Cause I got bit when I was eight on Halloween by a dog that was wagging its tail. And so the conventional understanding was wagging tail equals friendly. So when I reach out for the treat and the German shepherd punctures me in the arm, and none of the adults expected it, and none of them really knew how to help me process it. The trauma, you know, that's not where we came from generationally. And I, so I was afraid of dogs for the, for, you know, for the next many, many years. Yeah, so that's my introduction. Yeah, you know, you're telling that story, and I was having a flashback to when I was bitten in the face by my best friend's Dalmatian mm. as a child. Um, I, I wasn't torn up luckily and luckily pepper, I mean, you don't say luckily she bit me in the face, but luckily she bit me in the face and backed off. It was a one and done right. dash in, bite and back off 
uh, because she needed to communicate to me that I better get away from her, right. which obviously I did after that. And, um, and to me, that was such a betrayal of dogs because I was the biggest dog fan I knew. And I couldn't yeah. imagine such a thing happening to me, right? This person who um, loved dogs as much as I did. And I didn't know that I was doing anything wrong. And so I reflect a lot actually about that incident um, now that I'm an adult and I understand dogs a lot better. Um, and, I, and I do actually, I'm working with a client right now to help their six-year-old daughter overcome her fear of dogs. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful, beautiful process to see her blossoming and talking about dogs with, with her own relaxed body language. Mm. And so I love that you said that you have experienced that and can help with that as well. It makes me so happy that we can, because dogs are everywhere and it's so hard for children to live surrounded by what scares them all the time. They yeah. go to the grandparents or friends or whatever. I, I can't imagine how hard that would be. And they and they would uh, they had to cover a lot of those behaviors, you know, a lot of the stress and fear. I just came literally before a podcast. I came from a session. Family got uh, a dog, first time they've had a dog. It's a six month old. It's now six months old. They got it, I guess, at about ten weeks as a rescue. Ten year old boy, six year old boy, and and the first thing, you know, at this point in my work, I, I observe first before I do anything else. I no longer subscribe to behavior bad, change behavior. I want to get as much agency and cooperation collaboration with the dog as possible. And um, and so I sat down um, and I really don't have much of an agenda beyond what, what can I see and how can I help? And I and I start to see that the dog doesn't like being touched the way it's being touched. And so right of the way right away we drop into consent. You know, and um, God, it was so beautiful because real credit to this family and to these two young boys. Um, because in a matter of 20 minutes, they were reading her consent cues and she was going deeper into relaxation. And by the time the session ends, I'm, I'm walking away and he's curled up on the dog's bed next to the dog and they're spooning. And, you know, it was just one of those magical, it, it wasn't magic, but it was one of those magical moments where this, this kid, and he just had a beautiful smile on his face. We had done a lot of free shaping and capturing and played with tone. Hey, if, if you're helping her work towards relaxation protocols and you're saying, good girl, you're probably going to take her out of it. But if you say good girl, you know what I mean? Yeah, so it's really neat to see him feel empowered. And, um, and I, you know, obviously the dog feel empowered. And I, I the thing you said too about the, uh, there was a word that you betrayal. I want to come back to that. I, I'm going to flag it for our conversation today because that's often for the for the dog parents that I work with, particularly when there is you know there is a, a child involved and the dog does something undesirable or or dangerous or unsafe. That the humans for whom the dog was often the first child feel betrayed. Yeah. And and. Um, and there's a lot, you know, we got to make a lot of space for that. And I would offer that the dog probably feels betrayed too. You know, <laughs> the way. Yeah, I I agree with you. I, there's so much emotion in the whole thing. I, I kind of joke that I'm, you know, one part therapist, one mm -hmm. part marriage counselor, one part, whatever, all the things. I'm many parts of many things. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, at the end of the day, if we can't support the emotional needs of both the dogs and the family members, then we're not going to make any progress Yeah. because how do you, how do you make progress when, you know, there's fear or um, mm -hmm. reticence to even try things, you know, mm -hmm. what you were talking about with these boys, it was such a beautiful thing because that changes their whole demeanor in their life and in their coming home after school or not wanting to come home after right. school. Right. Oh, that's right? a great point. Yep. That's a great point. Yeah. That devolves into all kinds of things. Like how come you want to keep spending time at the neighbor's house? Because the kid, you know, I was afraid to say I was afraid of dogs. So my friends would invite me over and I would go over to my friend's house with a German shepherd and I'd be terrified, but I didn't want to be the fill in the blank, you know, judgment expletive word. I didn't want to be that kid that that was afraid to come over to the fun house, you know? Yeah. Awful. Yeah. There's a lot that people endure. And 
that that reminds me actually i we should dive in tolerance right yeah. that label tolerance right you and i have heard over and over again dogs should tolerate things dogs should a good dog tolerates when you mess with their food a good dog tolerates when you walk by them when they have their favorite toy you know mm-hmm. and and we people put all these labels on dogs about how they should be tolerant of stuff and I, that is such a low bar, don't you think? Yeah. And kids too, like like saying that you should be tolerant even of going to the fun house because there's a scary German shepherd there. Why should you be tolerant? Why can't we set the bar for, you know what? No, I feel confident and safe and happy going to that house. Right, right. Why is tolerance enough? That's right. Kind of ridiculous. Yeah, that tolerance is such a, it's a, I think inherent intolerance is suppression. And I think mm-hmm. one of the things that we miss that we are so challenged by as dog parents, um, you know, dog parents and then when we're having kids in the mix or vice versa, we have kids and we bring dogs in. One of the things that that we're so challenged by is um, the, the ability, our capacity to integrate the totality of the experience. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, especially when like for me now, my second kid is um, almost 20 months old. So, so, I've been through some things before, but um, generally speaking, um, as a parent and on, on a limbic level, their safety is, is, I'm on such alert for their safety that if I don't have the practice that I have and, and the skill and the, and the support that I have from a dog training standpoint, I won't have tolerance for a dog behavior that is totally appropriate because it scares me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's interesting because what I see is almost the flip side, Mm. which is that parents tolerate an insane amount of inappropriate behavior because they don't understand dogs. Mm. So, for example, Mm. I saw a video yesterday that somebody sent to me to ask me if this was okay, And, you know, because people social media makes us think that certain things are cute. And when yeah. I see them, I cringe and I get worried yeah. and you would have the same reaction. Um, but other people label it as cute and it gets hearts and it gets shares. And so somebody sent me a video of her son. He was probably about four rolling around on the floor, giggling and their big shepherd playing with him. The dog was over him and, and they were interacting, but the dog was super focused on the boy's head and neck. It was I had to explain to the person, I said, you know, um, this is a hard pass for me, but I understand that they probably love each other very much, Mm. right? I understand that, but the way that they are expressing their affection towards one another is in a dangerous display because your Mm. dog's focus on your child's head and neck inherently are problematic for many reasons. That some dogs in excitement use their teeth or if for some reason your child triggers a predatory response in your dog, it, your child is utterly vulnerable and you're on the other side of the room taking the video and there's no way that you would be able to intervene in time. Right. And dogs don't miss. So if that dog did choose to react, it would not miss. And she said how grateful she was that I was willing to you know, share that with her. She said, I had a feeling it wasn't right. So, So it's an interesting thing, right? So you and I are very... Like I would rather have my dog leashed if I have toddlers visiting because I I want to avoid a problem Mm -hmm. rather than what I think is more common, which is let's throw everybody in the same room and see what happens. And I'll only intervene if actually something specifically dangerous happens. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think about, I think about safety, you know, it is true the saying that management at some point management is always going to break down. So I think about safety plans um, as safety management plans. I think about them a lot in terms of support. You know, a safety plan that is airtight is probably not a good safety plan because parents and kids aren't going to be airtight. So mm-hmm. I have to have allow for I got to allow for flexibility and um, you know everything that's about you know that's messy and full and rich about being a parent and having a dog. So. Uh, and knowing too, knowing at this point in my work that, you know, a dog needs to know that it can go away from the threat or make the threat go away. And and for your listeners, if it's helpful to think about threat just in terms of pressure, you know, um, 
Did I get a ding because that was such a good statement? Yes, that was <laughs> yes, that was classic. My daughter texting right at that time. Well played. I just texted her. I was about I'm I'm about to say something really important. Get ready to text your mom. Oh, yes, thank so, you. It was good yep. timing. Um, so you know when I think about just a pressure applying pressure. Um, you know, a dog on leash gives us ability to move elsewhere. You know, I can follow the dog's cues. Um, that's different than a dog that's created, and in which case it can't go away from the threat. And so, so I better make sure that I've set this up differently for the dog, um, which is in all of that's different than uh, we have a dog. For example, one of my dogs, Nama, our, our pit bull, um, we named her Nama so we could say Namaste. <laughs> Because yeah. we have names for dogs we don't even have yet. Note for your listeners, um, you can have as many dog names as you want. You can't have as many dogs as you want. Oh, God. Um, yeah. But the, uh, so, you know, with Nama, she's, she's so clear. She's so gentle. You know, it's very clear what's going to happen. So we will, we'll give that a different setup than we would um, our 15-year-old Jindo with a history of you know, human punctures. Um, but the Jindo can also have a, a beyond, uh, an above tolerable experience. He can have an enjoyable experience with the family if he's set up right, mm -hmm. backwards from that way. And I, I generally speaking of working backwards, if I, the way I run it in my head is if something happens here, would I be surprised? Ah. If something bad happened, would I be surprised? And if the answer is yes, then I need to change my setup now. Okay. I like that. So let's just, I want to reiterate, you have two little kids. Your son is about five, just shy of five. At the time that this comes out, he will be well into his fives and on his way to his tens, which yeah. he thinks is next. And a daughter who's 19 months old. Yeah. Um, so, and, but you've got five dogs, right? So I want to address a couple things. Number one, just a multi-dog household in general adds a level of chaos, even if there were not children in the picture, yeah. right? So I wanna talk about just the dog juggle part of it. But what I really wanna get into is the idea that you've got children with dogs who have a history of aggressive behavior. Right. Notice, well, you noticed, I'm sure, but our listeners may not notice. I did not say they live with aggressive dogs. Right. Because I don't like a label like that. I can say aggressive in the sense that it describes a type of behavior that they have had or are exhibiting at any given time, right? You can right. have done something aggressively. Right. Um, so your dogs are not aggressive dogs per se, but they have done things that other people might not feel is safe. So how do you even decide to bring kids into a house that has these dogs? Yeah. And was that was that a question that you and Brooklyn had to juggle before your first baby arrived? Yeah, it was. And thank you for the question. Uh, we so so we sought help. Um, you know, we looked at what was out there. Um, those were that were doing that parenting and dog work and stuff that that we responded to, and we did and we did a lot of introduction and integration in the beginning. You know. Um, desensitizing or counter conditioning the dogs to silent sounds and sights and smells. And there was a lot of stuff in that, but, um, but what we did that, that was very eye-opening for us was we did the fake baby mm -hmm. and we had a baby that it had to make sounds. It was almost like, it was really weird. It's like a black market thing, finding it, finding a fake baby that <laughs> made the kind of sounds we would want to work with. It's like what you probably give a high school kid to try to get them not yeah. to have sex. Yeah. It was a home. Yeah. One of those. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, so we did this thing, you know, a, a couple months shy of, of term, we did this thing called the baby date. We, we were in this, just this phenomenal shout out to Graceful Birthing Center, which was uh, in LA. I don't know if they've survived the, the lockdown and the quarantines, but um, we were in classes there. And one of the things that I learned is that the oxytocin levels um, for the new parents uh, particularly for the mother in the first couple hours, they'll be higher than they will be at any other point in, in your life. And even for the first couple days. So I thought a lot practically about how people set up the logistics of bringing a dog, bringing a child home. If you already have dogs, do your dogs go to a friends? Do they go to a daycare? You know, all of that. So we figured we've got this fake baby. 
we know that oxy when we come home with the baby, we're going to be oozing oxytocin, which means we're not going to be in our right mind, right? Which means we're going to have really good habits with the kind of dogs that we have. Um, it means I'm on dog duty because my wife is going to be solely in, you know, uh, focused on what's happening with our son. And we got this fake baby and the baby date was this, is this really delightful thing that I've been recommending for years. We had to drum up oxytocin. We knew we weren't going to have another date alone for the rest of our lives. And uh, we had the fake baby. The dogs had seen all of the gear. By the way, there's a ton of gear. If you're an expecting parent, and, and if you happen to be like me, and one day you find yourself in Target and you look down the aisle and you see strollers and you say, wow, and then <laughs> what will happen to you? I get it. So um, we went out, we had this fake baby. They'd, they'd met the carrier, they'd investigated the carrier before, but they'd never met the fake baby. We had the fake baby in the car, which you could get away with because it's fake. We went on this baby date to a place we really liked, and we talked about a bunch of things that we liked and loved about our dogs and each other. Oh, that's so sweet. And we made a we made a point of, you know, enjoying that, and we were cognizant that that was going to be drumming up oxytocin. So we came home with the baby in as much a euphoric state as somebody who's seven months in, you know, and a guy who's trying to run a facility can be. And, and, we, and we set the baby, the fake baby, in the carrier down on the coffee table. I would never recommend this with a live baby, but I want you all to know how we went about it. And we did it, and we watched. We pressed all the different oh. settings, and we watched. We gauged our dog's responses. And it wasn't the husky wolf with a serious bite history. The concern is it was neither of the pit bulls who are remarkably gentle, um, have never, never bit a human, they've been dog aggressive. <clears throat> it wasn't the Jindo with serious human bites, it was the terrier. <laughs> and the terrier was not, he was clearly stressed about the presence of this thing. And Brooklyn and I had, we didn't expect this and we had a very, on short notice, had a clear and deep, earnest conversation about, about whether or not we could keep our terrier. And we decided, um, he's the, he actually is the dog that I got when I was still afraid of dogs. We decided that if anybody was gonna be able to make it work, it would probably be us. And so we would make an effort, but we would stay open to what was gonna be best for the family, including the dog. And, um, and we, would, we were the people that at least, however much that, that might hurt as a, as a decision, we had enough, enough perspective to be able to make that decision when and if it came to that from an emotionally sober place. Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning. And, and at that point, also with dogs that, you know, being able to help dogs in, in safety and management in terms of aggression, we had good practices anyway. So then adding our son into this and knowing, as so many of you, as you do and your viewers will, that one of the one of the amazing upsides of of bringing a child into a dog family is that the dogs if it's if it's okay for them they'll have a long ramp up you know that the, that kid at, at 10 weeks or one day is going to be different than the kid at tummy time at 5 months old so what I can often say to people is if we have a life that, that meets your dog's needs and we have a reasonably safe setup, that's my barking contribution, uh, and we have a reasonably safe setup, if we have a reasonably safe setup and we got good practice, then you actually have several months to explore your ability to handle this as a parent and if this is a good, if this is a good fit for your dog. And in many cases, I will say to people, let's, here's, here's a plan. Call me if anything goes awry. Let's talk every two weeks in the beginning. Let's talk every month for, for a few months after that. So next thing we know, we're at five or six months old and everybody has been able to make progress. That's right. typically how it goes. Yeah. It's different once the baby becomes mobile. In the beginning, they're, they don't do much, but what is difficult is our ability to multitask because the baby's needs, they come when they come, right? You know, you, when the baby needs to feed or has an explosive diaper, you can't put that off. So that is a really challenging piece that brand new parents have to accommodate the idea that they can't necessarily juggle the dog or dogs while they're doing these other things. And that is why it's so important to 
prep as much as you can in advance so that, you know, to a certain extent, um, the dog knows how to go to a safe place, for example, right. or is comfortable behind a barrier so that you can deal with all of right. the things that life throws at you. And interestingly enough, I think that many of those same practices are what you need as the parent of a multi-dog household. Yeah. Okay. Because you have to rotate those dogs around sometimes. Agreed. Yeah, there's a lot that, you know, to me, like a really good support plan for a dog happens to fit perfectly, uh, really almost seamlessly with a really good support plan for a baby coming into the home with dogs. Mm -hmm. And philosophically and practically, they're basically the same thing. We make some tweaks about it. I, I want to put a quick shout out too for, you know, what happens in the bedroom. And, uh, and you know, I, I don't, I, I don't trip off of dogs sleeping in people's beds the way that I used to. I, I'm not, that doesn't matter. What matters to me is that a dog has a has rest and that a dog yeah. has a place that it can sleep that is undisturbed. And so for people that I meet who are expecting, who have still have their dogs in the bed, um, I said, let's play this forward. You're not going to be sleeping because you're going to be a new parent. Neither you're going to be sleeping. Your baby's not going to be sleeping. How do you think that's going to work for your dog? And then when we're expecting the dog to be able to, back to your word, tolerate at the very least, if not actually feel secure and engaged in this new baby life, how's your dog going to do that, uh, you know, on sleep deprivation? Very badly. Very yeah. badly. Yeah. Yeah. And then not to mention the whole safety issue of a dog loose in the same room that the parent and the baby are in. That's a no-go yeah. anyway. Yeah. So I agree with you. I think, I think sleep is a very big issue and that's why he's having, my little guy's having a cow right now. My poor podcast listeners have to listen to him squeak all the time. Sorry, guys. I, pre I appreciate your tolerance of that. You said that it is. it can be a seamless integration when you add children, when you're already a well-managed multi-dog household. Right. Was there anything new that you added to the mix when you were bringing children in? Um, uh, or can yeah. you describe any of that? Any yeah. equipment or things like um, that? I think that honestly, the, the, the thing that was new that was incalculable to anticipate was sleep deprivation. Ah, yeah. And so, so when I'm looking at, at the kind of um, equipment, so I, I'll do a dry run with a couple. First time I meet with them, in fact, I'm meeting with somebody tomorrow. We're going to be on, a, I think, a third or fourth meeting. Um, they're coming close to term. I'll do a dry run and I'll say, okay, let's imagine that you're more exhausted than ever. You're not going to think straight. You're not going to sleep straight. You're not going to hear things right. Um what do you want? What kind of gate do you want to have to risk closing? <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, little things like that that we didn't think of the first time until I was stepping over the flexi gate, not, oh, not, the, not the clip that you open the gate because it's fixed on either side of the wall, but you know, I'm stepping over this effing flexi gate oh, yeah. time with a 10 pound child that feels like it weighs 50 pounds. No. You know, You're going to fall and kill both of you. For sure. So yeah. so I look at where gates are going to go, what kind of gates we're going to have. I look at the movement of the house for the dog. I want as much movement or dogs. I want as much ease of movement for the dogs, again, so they can get away from the stressors and good places to be. And also for the humans, so we're not futzing over each other in the kitchen. Um, the baby's room can be a private space. The bedroom can be a private space. Sometimes we've got to cre get creative it's a, if it's a one-room studio, for example. Um, but how can I help a dog if I've got a baby in one hand and I need to help a dog get outside? At what kind of gate am I going to open? Um, what kind of physical obstacles are going to be in the way? How do I have to, you know, do I have to move furniture around those kinds of things? Right. And then also with the sounds, some of the stuff that um, that the dogs needed to be able to um, feel comfortable with. You know, we introduced a lot of that stuff early on because now we're on baby monitors. Oh yeah. That's and that's a weird sound, you mm -hmm. know, and it's going to beep. Oh, the battery's going to go out. Oh crap, I forgot to turn that, you know, replace the smoke alarm battery. Yeah. And that's going to go off and we're going to freak out because our baby's not going to sleep. And right. so a lot of this was was just, we do a lot of logistical walkthroughs when I'm okay. doing this with people. Um, yeah, and, and your dog's never, and we always add yet to everything. My dog's never jumped a gate. Yet. Mm -hmm. My dog's never tried to steal food from a kid. Yeah. Right? 
There's, yeah, there's a lot of proactive stuff that we try to do, especially my membership that I have for parents, because mm. as you were saying earlier, that things change with time. And that's, that's the other thing that a lot of new parents really forget is that they think that they're in the clear because they brought the baby home and the dog was fine. And so we're good now. And I said, well, I love that you're optimistic. That's great. However, every time your baby or dog goes through a developmental change or shift or, you know, age development, whatever, um, things change. And we know that dogs have different fear periods throughout their lives. We know that children have sleep regressions as they're learning to potty train and as they're getting language and, you know, as they're developing motor skills, fine and gross, that we have other uh, implications for behavior change. And when they all engage together, um, we can have bad chemistry between dogs and kids, right? At any of those stages. So to your point, sorry to interrupt, Michelle, but uh, no, placement of, of let's like if, if the food and water bowl that has been in a, a certain place historically, and we're thinking ahead to where that dog might be and where we're at moving six months from now, or where I'm walking and I might trip over it. We want to make those changes now so that that's not, that's not an additional stressor for the dog when the baby comes in and sharp corners. Don't wait until your kid's six months old and you got to reach underneath to grab a dog's leash. And then somebody <laughs> named Matt whacks his head on the table and has yet another effing concussion, you know, and I don't, for your, your viewers that are listening and not seeing, I don't have any hair. I gave it up for Lent years ago. And so what happens is that like, you know, I hit a sharp, cor sharp corner and now I have a gash and now I'm about to go to a private session. So get yeah, the corners funny. covered. Yeah. Well, okay. and you were talking about water bowls and I was actually gonna, I thought you were gonna go somewhere different with that, which is to say that dog water bowls are really great magnets for crawling toddlers Yes. who, who love water play. Yes. But not all dogs enjoy sharing their water bowl with kids, right? And so that's kind of, that's a really great like example of what I'm talking about that, you know, with ages and stages and all of these things that we have to like you said earlier, be flexible. You have to roll with the punches and, and modify things constantly over time. And that what isn't an issue right now may become an issue later. So when you have, you know, if you have an infant, you're not really thinking of throwing a, a bash when your kid turns five. Right. But eventually you may throw a party at your house, a birthday party with a bunch of screaming kids around the house. Yep. How on earth are you going to deal with that when your dog is barely used to the two kids you've already got, let alone the fact that you can't predict, this goes to your yet statement, that you can't predict how those neighbors' kids feel. Because I think about you visiting your friends, you came with fear, but maybe those kids come with the opposite of fear. And they think, like I did, the reason I got bit is that I thought I knew more than I knew. And yeah. so I wasn't afraid, but I had no business approaching that dog, but I didn't know that. And so you get kids who are overconfident or they think, well, my dog at home is friendly enough or tolerant enough that I can do X, Y, and Z to it. Therefore, I can do X, Y, and Z to everyone else's dogs. So you thinking ahead and having a coach, you know, you, me, whoever, any other, you know, trainer that relies on rewarding good effort, you know, yeah. um, having somebody on your team to help you through those stages. And it really does help if that person who's coaching you truly understands child behavior as well as dog behavior, because yeah. we've lived it and we know what's coming or what may possibly be coming. Yeah. And then it can get even more complicated should there be any developmental challenges right. or issues that, um, that put a little kink in your plan. Yeah. Yeah, I, my nephew, he's uh, he has Asperger's, and so you know that wasn't. Uh, they brought a dog in after the fact, and his was a case where um, there was a profound gentleness until there wasn't. You know, so that's not just about him having Asperger's, but you know, being able to help him navigate it, I think, was challenged in part by I hadn't worked, lived intimately with somebody with a you know a young person that had Asperger's before, and so it. It presented some same principles, you know, but certainly presented some different different challenges and how to support all of the living beings involved. Well, especially a lot of dogs, you know, maybe are sound sensitive. And mm -hmm. when you have right. a child who, 
like my son, he had really difficult rages growing up. I haven't mm-hmm. really talked about that a lot on the podcast. I'm, I'm sure I will go in at some point. I'll, I'll need to get his consent about that now that he's of age. But um, we had a very, very difficult childhood with him. Mm-hmm. And the dog that we had at the time was an angel. And he, it didn't bother him. He stayed calm. My son could sleep with him and love him mm-hmm. no matter what. The dog wasn't afraid of him. Um, but I, I have seen many cases with clients um, that the dogs become fearful of the child because yeah. the child is even more unpredictable sometimes than the quote average child. When there is an added level of unpredictability with, you know, certain kids that can make things really hard for the dog yeah. as well. And then like you talked about how you in Brooklyn had a really hard conversation about, we have to look at our terrier's quality of life also. Right. Not just whether we think our baby's going to be safe, but right. we have to make sure that this dog isn't now miserable because he has to be so heavily managed. Well, one of the things that's so important about getting support from people like yourself or, or myself, and you know, there's there are a handful of other people that I think are doing you know really, really kind and considerate and stable work uh, with dogs and their and their humans. Um, one other thing to consider is the oh my gosh, I'm having another dog moment. Let's see, let's back it up to where you were talking about. Dog moment, I'm having a dad moment. I'm having such a dad moment that I'm calling You can't even remember moment. your vocabulary. <laughs> I can't even remember what moment I'm in. Oh, shoot, there was, something, there was something that you had said, Michelle, that was... Um, uh, it was something about compassion and understanding children. Oh, yes, quality of life. Okay, yeah, so... Quality of life. Um, so it's... Look, it's pretty hard to to have to make emotionally dis- sober decisions with dogs to begin with. You know, add puppy, good luck. Yeah. Add new parent hormones and chemical changes, good luck. So when we're when we're thinking to the extent that any of us get the rare opportunity to work with a family to be or a dog family to be that already has a human, a young human in it. To the extent that any of us get a chance to work with you ahead of time, and I'm using the, the royal you to anybody that's listening, mm-hmm. that for that for people like yourself and me, like that's gold. I can't believe I get to get into the house ahead of time. I'm not going to do damage control. I love that. Right? Yeah. It's amazing. It's it's so, so it's so amazing to be a part of that experience. One of the reasons why that's really important is because it is highly likely that you, the expecting parent will lose your capacity for emotional sobriety. Which (laughs) comes to making decisions about the well-being of your dog, the expecting father or mother in you will will understandably say, but I love him so much. And I wanna be clear, I don't wanna I don't want to rain on anybody's parade or be the you know downer Dave, but but I want to be clear that loving a dog is not enough. Love is an emotional experience. Loving a dog is not enough. What love has to look like is the practice of daily care for each other. I cannot stress that enough. I was in a home once where I'll never forget it, where it was clear that the expecting couple, the dog was suffering. And it was clear that the expecting couple did not want the dog off the bed. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll make you an offer. You don't even have to pay for this session. If, if, if you try something and I'm wrong, you don't have to pay for the session. In fact, I said, if you want me to, I'll leave right now. And I'll never forget, they looked at each other and they said, we think that's probably best. And I was gone. And I don't ever know, I, I never heard what happened to that dog afterwards. Oh my God, they actually but had you leave? Actually had me leave because, because the parents' words were, I don't think we can do that because we love our dog. Oh, that's God. not love. That's not love. No, it's that's not love. No, that's selfishness. Oh my gosh. I can't believe they kicked you out. Well, I, is- I offered. They didn't technically. Well, yeah, I know. That's fair. I guess so. But, you know. Yeah. I it I have had to have that conversation with people about the dog's quality of life and that there are times well, there are often times when a dog is chemically imbalanced, right? Yeah. Where like the dog isn't wired right or, you know, needs medical intervention or whatever. Um, 
and is just not capable of being relaxed or safe or happy. And, and it's not fair to keep a dog jailed for the benefit because we have him having it in a box all the time. That's, that's no quality of life. Right. Mm -hmm. So then what does that look like? But we're going down a rabbit hole that is not where I had intended, which of course I'm not at all surprised, but I do want to steer us back if I can drive the ship back to where I wanted to go. So you in Brooklyn, you do have some difficult decisions to make, right? You have dogs that have bitten humans before, and now you are, you have two challenges. Number one, your dogs are older, which means that sometimes I have a 13 year old, almost 13 year old right here. Um, not the noisy one, by the way. Um, she is arthritic and yes. ouchy. And so what she is experiencing is fairly common with dogs that are aging, which is that they are uncomfortable more often and therefore um, maybe have a shorter fuse if yeah. somebody pushes their buttons, right? So you have that issue on your hands because your dogs are older and you have these two little unpredictable humans in the house. Yeah. So can we just talk a little bit about um, some of the decisions that you guys have to make on a regular basis? I'm sure you're constantly reassessing situations about, because just because you have them all in the same house, that's not enough to keep it moving along smoothly. No. And so I look at, I look at the routine, you know, I have a pretty good understanding of the dog's routines at this point. I look at the routine of the family. So our kids, they get up around a certain time and they will have, uh, you know, breakfast around a certain time and the dogs will have already eaten. I'm on duty with that. And so what that allows for is once the dogs have eaten, for example, and they've had some morning engagement that works for them. And once the kids have eaten, that's a good time for us to go into the TV room where the dogs are, or that's a good time for us to go for me to bring, you know, the kids into the dog room. The dogs have a dedicated, it's a converted garage, a dedicated room. Um, So I'm looking at when the dogs are going to be more receptive to a positive experience with my kids in part because the kids are, they're never going to not want to engage with them at some point in the day. But if I can get the kids and a dog's a win, particularly early in the morning, because senior dogs, they're less likely to feel better later in the day. You know, we're, we're living out in Texas now. So by the time that heat hits, you know, 11 o'clock, we're pretty much done for the day. So, so if I can get the kids a win and I can get the dogs a win and we can get that in together, then strategically, my kids are much more likely to leave the dogs alone later in the day when the dogs need to be left alone. So then the dogs don't have to be sequestered. They can still be in the TV room with a gate that works, um, but we can monitor the kids going in and, and going out of there differently, you know? Yeah, I, I really liked that you, that you said that everyone needs a win because kids are often magnetized to our dogs. Yeah. They're no different. Yeah. Even though your dogs need to be monitored as everyone's dogs do, but older dogs and dogs who have shown aggression could show aggression again. Um, but any dog, any dog can, if not respected or read in time. But I love that you said, I have to set everybody up for one really great interaction so that they're less likely to keep chasing them around the house and aiming for that one time to interact. I I like that because, you know, you're giving everybody a little bit of, they're being appreciated, like, okay, I got what I wanted. I got what I needed. And showing kids that they don't have to constantly engage directly with the dog is another thing. So I spend a ton of time talking about parallel lives. Like how can we be together without touching? You know, how can we, like you can see my older dog on the other side of the gate, you know, how can we kind of like baby TV, you know, the dog can watch the kids, right? the kids can watch the dog. That's interesting. Kind of like the zoo phenomenon that I think that the humans who visit the zoo provide engagement for the zoo animals just as much as the other way around that that we are interested in those animals but they also have a limited environment and therefore our presence impacts Mm. them as well gives them right about yeah it's interesting i'm glad you said that i think that's really good 
there's something else that's really it's it's I reckon this would have been your experience. It's um, there's something really beautiful about the, a child connecting with a dog. Yeah, it's very special. And so, you know, you know, I think maybe it sits on top of good management, you know, good good support setups, those kinds of things, wins for everybody involved. It really matters to my daughter when she goes over to Pet Nama. You know, and she's, you know, and she's like, she can barely put the, the, the name together. Nana and Renge is Genge and Kingston is, uh, what is she calling Kingston now? Uh, ding Ding, you know, <laughs> which is not an inaccurate description, given that he's going blind and deaf. <laughs> but, you know, like those are moments that, that like, that, those are really special moments. If they're right for the dogs, they're really special moments for these kids to have in their lives. That is something that even that like all of everything we're talking about in the winds lead into, you know, consent. Somebody, I would really like to get some data if it's possible, but teaching a, teaching a child um, consent from their animals, I'm going to venture that it, it will, it will support emotional intelligence in a way that many other, you know, many other things can't. Yeah. I agree with you. I, I mean, I think it's confidence building, right? Mm-hmm. To be able to read a dog yeah. and know when it's appropriate to engage and when it's not. I mean, yep. that is so empowering. I the, the girl that I'm helping with her fear, that is, I think, the most valuable thing for her. Um, she has mm-hmm. said that <laughs> her mom just told me, I just shared, you saw the testimonial that I shared on Instagram. Yeah. The mom said that the girl literally talks out loud now. Open mouth, slow waggy tail. I think this dog is happy. Open mouth. She repeats this mantra when she sees certain dogs. Open mouth, slow tail. Okay, I'm okay. I'm safe, happy dog, right? And she is literally saying things out loud to herself. The confidence that that has created in her. Mm. I mean, it's life-changing, I think, because there would be places that she was reluctant to visit because there might be a dog there and she didn't know how to read it. Mm. It's remarkable. And so what you're saying is that even with your 19-month-old, that if she can, and you're of course going to guide her, I mean, you're going to be narrating Mm -hmm. everything. I just did a podcast with a parenting coach yesterday and she I made a graphic of something she said because I liked it so much. She said that much of parenting is like sports casting because we are constantly narrating everything, you know, Oh, look at the pretty tree. Do you see the leaves on the tree? How many, you know, how many of this do you see? How many of that? All that. But we do it even more. So when we are educated about the dog, how's the dog feeling? Um, You know, look at the dog, the dog just looked away from you. Right. With your daughter, you know, oh, you know what, you know, Nama is she walked away. So she just said, no, thank you. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. No, I was just going to say that that by narrating that sports casting, that kind of moment um, to our kids, we're also teaching consent in that same way. Right. That the dog said and here's how I know that's what the dog said. And then maybe you can ask them too when she's more verbal. Hey, what did the dog just say there? That was interesting. Yeah. Well, they were yawning, but I know they're not tired. What is yeah. that? Yeah, you know? it's very it's very cool to empower them in that way. Yeah. yeah. It's a very powerful thing to read the language of another animal. Yeah, it really is. It really, really is. Um, you mentioned your terrier being the one of yeah. the five that you were the most nervous about. Yeah. How did you get past that? We gave him a lot of space. We gave him a lot of space. Um, you know, I kept up with the walks and the, you know, the kind of engagement things that he would want to do and, um, you know, snafaris and things like that. Um, and, uh, we gave him a lot of space and then we would let him decide when he wanted to come close. And then Brooklyn and I, we had an arm's length rule, you know, as you're exploring this Kingston or ding ding, as you're exploring this, uh, 
I totally encourage your exploration and we're going to do it up to a point. And, and we will see as time goes on, if by virtue of the stress indicators that you're showing physically and, you know, looking at the, the context and kind of tracking all of that, if you seem more and more curious and less and less apprehensive or anxious about it. And, um, and uh, I was really conservative. I'm actually curious your thoughts about this, Michelle. I didn't have our dogs make contact with our uh, with our son until, well, I wasn't even planning on it. I think one day Brooklyn did it. He was about five and a half months old, and they gave him a little, you know, kiss on the face, or they kissed his feet. I know some people day one they'll let the dogs lick the feet, but oh, yeah. I didn't have the dogs I had, and and I just thought I don't. There's no reason for me to rush this beyond what I want out of it. There's no yeah. reason for me to rush it. Right. I I second that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. I um I. <laughs> A friend of mine, Cameron, he, he he said something, and then I always use a caveat when I tell it to other people because I'm afraid they're going to find it offensive. Um, but what I say, because of Cameron, because I thought it was so clever, was that you should act like bringing home a baby is like bringing home a new lamp or a bag of groceries, right? But the lamp, from the standpoint of this lamp is going to be here for a long time as part of this space as will the baby and we just need to learn to live around the lamp yeah and we don't need to have a relationship with the lamp right so i i know it was a funny analogy and some people find it offensive because their new baby is the singular most exciting thing in their lives and and it should be they created this new human being that is remarkable and i and i'm not at all belittling the value of your new baby ever however i do think it's a really interesting analogy because from the dog's perspective it is just something else that's part of life now with this mm. family and you don't need to engage with it because they have a lifetime to build a bond or to build a relationship right together you right. know and, and i don't think it should be rushed and you know, if eventually you're comfortable with the arm's length rule and you don't feel that the dog will make any bad decisions, then maybe a quick lick of the toes is fine, a drive-by or whatever, yeah. as we say. But um, I get, I, I do get pretty nervous when I see these obsessive licking, because licking, yeah. you and I, we know it can be stress. And I, I do get a little bit nervous um, around some of the more life sustaining body parts yeah yeah like the head or whatever yeah um i don't want to derail you there was something i wanted to add but i i wanted to to make sure that we're uh we're okay this is a good place to share this i don't know that i've shared this publicly and I, i want to offer this as support um in everything that we've talked about we had um uh, an event, a really big event. Uh, it was preceding the launching of season one, and there's something, you know, there's a big press junket. So um, I was put up at, uh, at a hotel in Beverly Hills, and there's a whole there's a whole thing around how this goes. What's important about this is that it was a very uh, it was a very large once in a lifetime experience for my wife and I. So we set the dogs up. Uh, before we left with the sitter, we set the sitter up with our kid. There was no direct interaction. Um, when, when my wife left to come back, to come home to take care of our son, I was still at the event. Um, our senior dog, Pierre, Husky Wolf Dog Pierre, who had been, our son's name is Talon, who had been Talon's dog um, in every way that you would hope for was not well we later learned that you know it was cancer but he wasn't well and so in the excitement of my wife coming home i'm speaking on her behalf but this is the way she relays it in the excitement of her coming home she she and the excitement of seeing our son and it was a big deal because we left him alone for the evening you know there was a lot that was about that the reason why i'm prefacing it that way is that when talon and his excitement was in the dog slash TV room and jumped on the couch, which we wouldn't normally allow, but because it was, we just got home, or my wife just got home, he jumped on Pierre and Pierre bit him in the face. Oh. And it was 
um, you know, I, it was, uh, I guess for him, there was a lot of healing to be done, you know, and, and he did do that. Um, I think, honestly, he was so excited that the firemen were coming to the house, the paramedics were coming because he knew all the firefighters, like if every kid was going to get bit, you know, um, but it was really that the bites were, you know, it was, it was two bites and they basically formed a square right around his, his eyes, you know, oh, forehead, you know, both cheeks and a chin. And, um, and so I want to share that here because I want your viewers to know, your listeners to know that as much care and compassion and practice as we had, we had a once in a lifetime event and and my wife in her excitement forgot the practice and part of it was the sitter and you know it was just a combination of things and so that's why i i look for safety management plans that allow for flexibility yeah you know it would have been a simple change um and it never happened since but, thank but you for telling me that yeah thank you. i i appreciate you sharing that story i I think that it's an important story to share on so many levels. One of which is that if it can happen in the home right. of a dog trainer who has an incredibly dog savvy house, right. with dog savvy routines and systems, and you weren't even expecting your babysitter to, to manage without instruction, right? You, no, you did it. Right. That if something like that can happen to you, it can happen. Right. And it, you know, I I got a phone call. I'm not going to say from who because I don't want to, I, I don't have permission to share this. So I won't say who called me, but it was somebody who was close to me and called me in hysterics because the dog bit their daughter. Same thing. Couch. It literally the same thing. And she said, do I have to put my dog to sleep? Yeah. And I said, whoa, wait, wait, hold on a second. Why would you have to put your dog to sleep? Mm -hmm. she said, well, because my dog bit my child. And I said, yeah, but your dog bit your child. Well, anyway, it was a little bit complicated, but I said that was, that was a mistake. It could have been prevented had yeah. X, Y, and Z been in been in place it could have been prevented yeah. and i said are you going to change how things are managed yeah because if you're not then it can happen again and it likely will happen again yeah but if you are if you are willing to make some changes then i i don't see a high likelihood of this happening again so i'm mm. sure you went through that whole risk assessment and you know, made adjustments accordingly, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 my condolences to your friend. It's, it's, it's scary. It's heartbreaking in so many ways, and uh, um, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But again, uh, I'm glad that it happened in our home because it's something else that I can share with people. Well, and poor Brooklyn too. Yeah. I mean, that was. I think something like that is hard to get past emotionally because yeah. you feel so guilty and you feel so bad that it happened on your watch that whatever, just that it happened and it just happened. And yeah. that's enough to make you feel bad. And then yeah. you go through all the what ifs, which are brutal. And, and, and we are generally not kind to ourselves. Yeah. I know I'm not, I can beat myself up pretty good. Yeah. Um, so Mike, I'm sorry to Brooklyn that that happened. Um, and of course, obviously to your son and to the dog, because um, it was probably traumatic for everyone. Yeah. yeah but it, was, it is interesting to reflect on and think about how we could do things differently. And we got a chance to heal. That's the other thing about parenting, you know, is where the repair, you know, we can, there's so much, only so much we can do in it with our kids in the course of a day but if we if we can demonstrate i make amends to my son on to my kids on a regular basis oh, i really don't like the way i talk to you there you know and that's a good practice i mean it's a necessary practice for me and so the repair to have gone through it is what to have experienced it was one thing to to have gone through it through the repair 
was was very um, it was necessary and it was very empowering. You know, a lot of my work for better for worse, a lot of my life is uh, an an example for somebody else of what not to do. You know, and so I can bring that into a conversation. And what I shared with you and with your listeners today, and uh, Brooklyn and I, we don't actually talk about it much. We haven't for a while. Um, but we, you know, I can go into anybody's home and say, let me tell you what happened in my home, you know? Yeah. And so, so I think really through everything in here, what I hear you saying, and I think a, a, a part of what I hear embedded in the spirit of your podcast is you are not alone. That's the thing for, I want to let the dogs know you are not alone. And I want to let the parents know you are not alone. I want to let the kids know that you are not alone. And I want to let the family mem- members that will help raise the kids and the parent you support the parents and the dogs. You are not alone. You are not alone. It can really feel like you are, you yep. know, it really can. Yeah. Things are hard, but I, I appreciate you sharing that. And, um, you know, being here and talking with me about, some of the challenges that we have to think about on a constant basis when there are kids and dogs in the house um, and that you and I likely don't take things for granted, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And don't, don't just wait and see what happens. Right. We pride could be very um, deliberate yeah. about how we set up our environment yeah. So we can try to keep both our kids and our dogs safe. And when I say safe, I mean physically safe, but also emotionally safe. Right. Right. The dogs need to feel that they are, that you are going to meet their needs. And if oh. you see, you know, if you're, if your daughter is having a tantrum because she's almost two, so right. it'll be fun that you're willing to say, Hey, you know what, pups come with me. We're going to yeah. go over here so she can have her feelings, right. That, that you will take care of them and prevent them from needing to be around something that might be problematic for them. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. It's, not just, it's not just about getting their tail pulled or not. Right. It's about. Yeah. No, I'm so glad that you're calling that out. That's really important. Um, it's vital to the well-being of the family, to the wellness mm-hmm. of, of the unit, you know, because if I'm not, my, my wife's primary responsibility is taking care of her kids. If I'm not going to take care of the dogs, who's going to, you know, if I'm not going to advocate for them, who's going to well, yeah. put them in an emotional corner, you know? Well, and that's what you're, you know, that's what you're so good at. And that's why they picked you for that show, honestly, mm-hmm. is because you are a good advocate, right? For dogs who might be making bad choices, but they're doing it because they're generally terrified. Yeah. And right. How do we help them to feel safer so that they make better choices? That's right. Yeah. In case your listeners haven't heard or haven't heard it recently, roughly 90% of aggression is fear-based. Um, and that was a revelatory understanding for me because I have a visceral response to aggression in part because of how I grew up and part because of behavior I practiced along the way. But when I heard that as a stat, that what that made room for was consideration. All of a sudden, these dogs had a chance that they didn't have before because I was willing to see them in a way I hadn't seen them before. Mm-hmm. That's hard to do. Yeah, you know? it takes practice. It does take practice. And I really do appreciate, and you've said this before, but I'll, I'll reiterate it for those who haven't heard it before. I appreciate your willingness to grow publicly mm-hmm. um, and to share what you're learning along the way, you know, that you know, that the reason a dog is acting that way is because of how it's feeling. And so what can we do differently moving forward? And I think what that what that does at the end of the day is it opens the door for a lot more compassion from everyone. Yeah. And your compassion for the dogs is so apparent in everything that you do. It's really wonderful. Um, And I have not seen any of the newest episodes because I don't have cable. And so I have to figure out how to watch live. Okay. I have Hulu. I don't know if I have Hulu Live. Is it? Hulu Live is going to probably cost you a few more bucks a month. Okay. I'll reimburse you if you want. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to pay me to watch your show. I'm sure I'm going to enjoy your show. I'll figure it out. I'll find a way to watch it. Interesting. The first episode is not a show plug, but the first episode is about a couple with a newborn and a dog whose aggression has escalated to the point, I mean, literally puncturing the dad. 
Oh. And, and their question is, can we keep this dog? Oh my gosh. So it's like the story of my life is your your episode okay well now i have to pay to watch it okay fine that was just mean that was a tease (laughs) to me now okay good no that's really good i'm glad because that's a big question for a lot of people and i'm so glad that you tackled it because well now i have to go see what happens yeah i'm all excited now anyway i'm gonna let you go i really appreciate you spending so much time with me um and making me laugh, which is what I fully expected you would do yeah. <laughs> as well. I know that we will be in touch. Please tell our listeners where they can find you online. Oh, thank you. Uh, oh, I'm glad you said online because I'm about to give out my address. Uh, yeah, I don't know that you should do that. Yeah, um, I do you know can, it's Austin, right? Austin, you could find me roaming the halls. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, it would be Matt Beisner. Instagram's Matt underscore Beisner. Beisner is B-E-I-S-N-E-R-M-A-T-T, two T's, Matt underscore Beisner. Uh, YouTube would be Matt Beisner also. And uh, I think those are the three major platforms that I'm on. I don't hang around TikTok too much, so you're not missing much there. And uh, and season two, Dog Impossible is currently on Hulu Live, Nat Geo Wild Channel, and um, Disney Plus is TBD. You know, they just roll it out at different stages. So yeah. that's where it's okay. out. Sunday nights at 10 o'clock Eastern. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for talking with us Thank you, Michelle. about Great raising yeah. kids and dogs at the same time. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Pooch Parenting Podcast on the podcast app of your choice. For ongoing support, get on the waitlist for the Pooch Parenting Society, where I share training tips, activities, and coaching so families with dogs can live in harmony. By signing up at safekidsanddogs.com, you'll be the first to know when I open registration again for new members.